Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Video from our Zambian trip just a few weeks ago. There's another one upcoming in um, October. Another trip to Guatemala coming up. I know several of you have expressed interest and some have signed up. If you're interested, come talk to Randy Presley about that. There's still plenty of spots available. Let me pray for us and we're going to begin. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to open the text of your word, Lord, the truth of your word, to study all you've shown us in Scripture, Father. I pray that as we take just a little while this morning and think about who you are, I pray that you would speak clearly to us, Lord. I pray that you would challenge our hearts, that you would convict us, Father, to live differently, Father, to be uh, the church you've called us to be, to be the, the men and women you've called us to be. And Lord, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would transform us more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning with a statement that is going to offend some of you. It's going to shock some of you, going to surprise some of you. But I believe that it's true with all my heart. And before I say it, I want you to understand it's a generalization. I'm certainly not speaking to one individual person or to an individual church. But here's the statement I want to begin with this morning. American Christianity can sometimes be watered down. And as believers, we oftentimes focus on all the wrong things. American Christianity needs to wake up to our clear calling in the Word of God to follow Christ regardless of what it may cost us. You know, we live in a very wealthy and blessed nation. We have nice houses, we drive nice vehicles, we have good jobs, we have literally every resource available to us, and there's nothing wrong with that. God has blessed us, and we should be thankful for those blessings, but here's the question I want to think about this morning as we consider our walk with Christ. What are we giving up for the sake of the Lord? How much does serving Christ cost us. Because I think if we're honest with ourselves as we begin to examine our walk and we begin to examine our spirituality and we begin to examine our Christian life, if we're honest with ourselves, usually what we give to Christ is out of the abundance of our lives. Rarely, if ever, do we sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. So what does being a follower of Jesus Christ actually cost you? As many of you know, we returned a couple of weeks ago from South Asia, India. We were able to go to India. And we saw some things there that kind of shocked us and, and led us to spend some real time in prayer and thought about how we can partner and how we can work. Because as we traveled through the countryside and we worked with the local missionary there, I can tell you with absolute certainty, it's the most spiritually dark place I've ever been in my life. Everything about it is different. The the language is different, the the customs are different, the culture is different, the food is different. It's all different, but the most striking thing that's different is the way in which they worship and the gods in which they worship. We had the opportunity to, to meet some believers over there and hear their stories, but if you understand what's going on in South Asia and other parts of Asia, you'll understand that there are very few Christians in the midst of billions of non-Christians. 
In fact, in the area we were in, the missionaries estimate, and this is just an estimate, they don't know for sure. They estimate that there is one believer for every thousand people. That's 0.1%. In fact, the missionary we met with said that if you do the numbers statistically based on the number of people in his area and the number of missionaries that are actively there serving, his family is responsible for reaching about 20 million people for Christ. (laughs) It's impossible, right? And yet the Lord is doing some pretty amazing things. We had the opportunity to talk to some believers there who had grown up as Hindus and had accepted Jesus Christ. And we began to see as we heard their stories and listened to what the Lord was doing that these were believers that were not only serious about their faith, but they were willing to risk their lives in order to share it with others. And so I sat in a room with a group of men who had literally given up everything for Christ. And I came back with this question kind of rattling around in my heart a little bit. What do they have that we don't have? What's happening in their hearts that's not happening in ours? Why are we so flippant and apathetic and they are literally giving their lives for Christ? What's the difference? So I want to delve this morning into the truth of Scripture and to the heart of this issue. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Now as you're flipping to Matthew chapter 16, I want to give you just a little bit of background and context on the gospel we're about to read. Jesus at this point in his ministry has been doing some pretty amazing things. He's been healing the blind. He's been causing the lame to walk. He's been feeding thousands of people and there's been this following that has grown and grown and grown of people that either need a miracle or they need help or they need food. It's a very interesting parallel between then and now. There are people that follow Jesus based on what Jesus could give them. Sounds kind of familiar sometimes, doesn't it? And so this following of people had grown and grown to thousands and thousands and thousands. But we're going to read in the text this morning that at this moment in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 16, all that Jesus has accomplished and all that Jesus has done and all the people that have followed Jesus, at this point in the Gospel, everything is about to change. So Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 21, we're going to walk through this passage of Scripture together. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time on, I think we've got the scripture. From that time on, in other words, there's this sense that from now on, Jesus is going to be doing something a little bit different. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now there's this sense here from the disciples, as we're going to see here in just a second, that they didn't quite understand what Christ was getting at. Jesus says, all this that you've seen me do, these miracles and all the healings and all the feedings, and that was part of my ministry, but you need to understand that's not the intent of why I came to this earth. I came to this earth so I could willingly walk to the cross and die for your sins. Now you can imagine the disciples who had been following him for the last two and a half years kind of Revolted against that. And so we read in the very next verse, verse 22, we have it on the screen. Peter, who was kind of the loud mouth of the group, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. 
Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. See, Peter wanted Christ to understand, Jesus, we're not going to let this happen to you. We're, gonna let, we're not going to let you be arrested and crucified and killed. We're, we're going to stand in the way. We're going to fight for you. We don't want those things to happen to you. And Jesus tries to explain to Peter, Peter, you need to understand, you're thinking earthly thoughts. I'm thinking heavenly thoughts. You're thinking about what I can give to you. I'm thinking about what I can sacrifice for your cause. So Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you need to get behind me. You're not thinking about the things of me and you're, you're thinking about yourself and you're a stumbling block to me. You're not allowing me to do the things that the Lord has called me to do. You're not allowing me to walk willing to Jerusalem. And so he sets Peter aside and then he begins to teach his disciples. And he begins to explain to his disciples very clearly the calling in verse 24. So Jesus said to his disciples, because I can just imagine at this point there's some confusion. Jesus, we've seen you do these amazing things. We've seen you do these miracles. Now you're telling us that everything's about to change and you're about to walk to Jerusalem. And so Jesus makes it very clear for them in verse 24. This is our calling, kind of the focal point of the message this morning. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone, that's you now, by the way, that's anyone, would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Now we're going to stop there and kind of think through this just for a few minutes because Christ is going to give us a very clear calling and a very clear challenge in our lives that we should be different if we're going to call ourselves a follower of Jesus Christ, there's this sense that we got to do something different than the world says we should do. And so there's some truths here I want to pull out this morning. There's some truths I want to think about this morning that will help us understand how to live for Christ and will clue us in a little bit on what these guys in South Asia get and understand that sometimes we miss. Here's truth number one. We must begin by making a choice to follow Christ. We can't live our lives for Jesus until we've chosen to follow him. We can't be different by the world's standards until we've made a definitive choice in our life, in our heart, that I'm going to set all these things aside, I'm going to deny myself, I'm going to pick up my cross, and I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. Now, choice can sometimes be a difficult thing, can it? We live in a world where we have thousands of choices. So, for example, if you have satellite television... You probably have several hundred stations to choose from, don't you? At any given moment, day or night, you can watch one of several hundred television shows or specials or sporting events. You have a lot of choices. If you go to Starbucks, you have a lot of choices to choose from, don't you? When you go to the movie theater, you've got a lot of choices. When you go to buy a new outfit, you've got a lot of choices. On and on and on the list goes of all the different choices that we offer. But sometimes choices can be a blessing and other times they can be a curse. We had the opportunity yesterday, some of you were with us, to go to Atlanta. We kind of took the first step in our partnership with a missionary in Atlanta to plant a church in downtown Atlanta. So we went into a neighborhood that's called the Bluff. And if you're familiar with downtown Atlanta, it's the worst neighborhood in the city, so we're told. It's the heroin capital of the South. People come from all over the South to buy heroin in that one little neighborhood, just a few block radius. 
And so we're walking the streets yesterday, and the missionary says, you need to notice something that will kind of stand out. He said, you need to notice the vehicles that drive by. Because you'll begin to notice that some of these vehicles are out of place. And so we're walking down these streets, and you have to understand this neighborhood is dilapidated. Most of the houses are boarded shut. They're burned out. They're abandoned. Occasionally, there's a house with people living in it. But he said, you need to notice the vehicles that drive by. And sure enough, every now and then, you'd see a very nice Mercedes drive by. Or a BMW. We went in front of one house and there were two Jaguars, two different colors parked right in front of the house. He said, those cars are either the sellers or those are the buyers that are coming in from the wealthy suburbs to buy heroin. And sure enough, as we were walking, we just kind of saw a constant flow of these really nice vehicles. But he started talking about choice and he started talking about how these young kids in this neighborhood don't really know any better and they grow up in this culture of drug use and he said I've seen these young teenage kids make the choice to use a dirty needle instead of not shooting up with heroin that's the choice they have to make and they understand sometimes that choice may cost them their lives or they're just so addicted to this drug they can't help themselves and so we we think about this idea of choice and we think about what we're going to give up and we say you know sometimes choices can be a blessing but sometimes they can be a curse Because we kind of back ourselves in the corner oftentimes in our society and in our world that we get so busy that we don't have time to choose Christ, right? Or we put ourselves in a position that we don't have really many good choices to make. And so we begin to ask ourselves, if we're going to choose Christ, what are the things we need to choose? Well, salvation is first. To accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, repent of your sins and recognize your need for a Savior. That's the first choice we make. But as we accept Jesus Christ and we begin to walk through our life day by day by day by day, we kind of ought to have this filter that we use to make decisions. We all kind of have this matrix that we run decisions through. We ought to ask ourselves these sorts of questions. Does the choice I'm about to make bring glory to God? Is the choice I'm about to make honor Him? Would Christ be pleased with this decision? Because we begin to understand if we're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then we've got to begin to choose him over the things of the world. But it's very interesting what the scripture does here in the Gospel of Matthew. It's very interesting what Christ does because it's at this point in the text we begin to recognize that we we have to make choices in our life to follow Christ over the things of the world. It's at this point where this disconnect occurs in people's lives. Because they say, yeah, I think I want to follow Jesus Christ, but they begin to recognize as they study the scripture that if they're going to be serious about their faith, if they're going to be serious about following Christ, if they're going to be serious about living a life that brings him honor and glory, it's going to cost them something. And most believers aren't interested in that. And so we see in verse 24, Jesus says to his disciple, he gives them this clear picture, whoever wants to be my disciple... Whoever wants to be a Christian, whoever wants to be a follower must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Here's the second truth. We begin with the choice to follow Jesus Christ, but number two, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we must be willing to forsake everything for the Lord. We ought to be willing to forsake everything for the cause of Christ Now, this is not an easy decision for us to make, is it? Because we have a lot of good choices, right? We have a lot of good things we can do. There's a lot of pleasurable things in life that we can choose. But here's the truth we ought to draw from Scripture as we read about the life of Christ and as we read about the life that he calls us to live. The truth of the Scripture is this. Our life, as much as we love it, doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. 
And we don't really have the freedom from an eternal perspective to choose what we want to do over what Christ tells us to do. See, Jesus is real clear about this. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to be willing to give up everything in order to follow me. And that means necessarily, if we're going to be willing to give up everything and do whatever Jesus Christ calls us to do, we need to prepare ourselves for suffering. And that's not easy for us to hear, is it? It's not something we like to think about. It's not something we look forward to. It's not something we want to walk through. Yet the truth of Scripture is this. Christ gave up his very life for his disciples. He gave everything for the cause. And he makes it very clear, if you're going to be a follower of him, you need to be willing to do the same thing. Now, I've got a picture I want to show you, and I want to tell you a little story. If you'll bring the picture up. The first one of the two guys, right there. That's a man we met in South Asia and India. His name is Jamil, and I want to tell you his story just for a couple of minutes. I think it's very interesting. As we were there working with the missionary in the city, it's a city of about 5 million people. There are two other missionaries there. And by the way, when you give money every week to the, to the offering plate, we give part of that to the cooperative program, which goes to fund the missionaries all over the world. There are about 5,000 Southern Baptist missionaries all over the world. Two of them we worked with in the city. There were two others who were there in that city, and they're calling. Now, I want you to listen to what I'm about to explain to you. These two missionaries calling, the only thing they're doing in this city right now is trying to identify Muslims who've come to know Christ. Because if they can identify Muslims who've come to know Christ, they can begin to network and meet other Muslims. See See the pattern there? They can begin to develop churches and they can begin to reach into that community. They've been there for a year. These two missionaries have found zero Muslims that have converted to Christianity. None. That's all they're doing. They haven't found the first one yet. While we were there in that city, the missionary we were working with came to us one day and was so excited because they found a Muslim convert. A man who'd grown up in a Muslim home, a man who'd grown up in a Muslim community, and accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. The first one in a year they had met, and he was going to come to the training session we were at tomorrow. He said, he'll be here tomorrow to meet with you guys. So we were excited to meet him. So he came. This is Jamil. He grew up in a Muslim home, accepted Jesus Christ a couple years ago. Let me tell you what he conveyed to us in his story. His family has disowned him now. They don't allow him to be part of the family anymore. His wife divorced him. She took their 10-year-old daughter with her when she left, and she's now suing him in the local court to try to force him to back to the Islamic faith. He has had struggles at work. He's had struggles with friends. He's had struggles socially, as you can imagine. He's been beaten on numerous occasions. He showed us the scars on his head where he had been beaten because of his faith. And yet this is a man who showed up at a church train to hear more about the gospel of Jesus Christ. To figure out how he could plant churches in that context. And he said something to us that I'll never forget. He said, sometimes I lay in my bed at night and I weep. Because I'm all alone. For the sake of Christ. And I came back and I asked myself, what in the world's wrong with us? I mean, that ought, that, that ought to keep you awake at night. Here's a guy who is absolutely sold out, committed to follow Christ regardless of what it may cost him. And here we are. And I'm at, the, I'm at the head of the line. I'm not speaking down to you. I'm speaking as one of you. We have every resource in the world and how do we squander it? What are we doing for the sake of the kingdom? What's Christianity costing you?
What are you giving up to follow Christ? See, Jesus gives us this really clear picture, right? He gives us this really clear directive. You need to deny yourself. You need to take up your cross and follow me. But the problem with that saying is it's not easy for us. Is It's not the American way. I'm not going to deny myself. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not giving up anything for the sake of Christ. I'm not going to take up my cross. I want to live my life the way I want to live it. So we see these kinds of phrases in Scripture, and we want to follow Jesus, but we don't want to give anything up. And so what do we do? We water down the text. Well, he didn't really mean that. He couldn't have possibly meant that I'm supposed to really give anything up, right? He couldn't possibly have meant that I'm supposed to take up my cross and follow him no matter what it costs. And so we water it down. We say, well, he he said to deny self, and he said to... Take up cross. And so, you know, I've got a difficult job. That's the cross I'm going to bear. I have a difficult boss. Or I've got a family situation I'm struggling with. And that's going to be the cross that I'm going to bear in my life. I want to be very clear based on what the Scripture says. Remember, when we study Scripture, we should always study with the intent of the author. What did the author mean by this? Not how can we twist it to make ourselves feel better. What did the author mean? What did Christ mean by this? You need to understand something. To the first century believer, taking up their cross meant death. It didn't mean they were going to struggle with a difficult situation at work. It didn't mean they were going to have a problem with a family member. It didn't mean they were going to have to deal with physical illness. All those things may have been true, but to the first century believer, to the man and to the woman who heard this teaching in the Gospel of Matthew, they understood Christ meant you must give up everything for him regardless of the cost. One writer said it like this. We minimize the force of this with sayings like, we all have our cross to bear. Jesus was not talking about minor discomforts. Those who heard him utter those words knew what taking up a cross meant. They knew that it was the prelude to that person's crucifixion. Christ was speaking about a death to a whole way of life. He was talking about the utmost in self-sacrifice, a very death to the selfishness in all forms of self-seeking. You say, what does that mean for me? Well, I don't know what it means for you. It's between you and the Lord. But one of the things it ought to mean very clearly in your life is that you're willing to follow Christ regardless of what that means. Whether it costs you comfort, whether it costs you money, whether it costs you a relationship, whether it costs you a job, we need to be willing to serve him and follow him in all things. It means we ought to be interested in doing the Lord's will over our own will. It ought to mean that when we make decisions, we first of all make decisions based on what the Lord's calling us to do, not what the world says. It means we ought to run all our decisions through the process of Scripture. It means we ought to stand up to our faith when nobody else will. It means that we ought to lead our families based on the truth of the Word of God, not the popular teaching of culture. I just worry that we're awash in the sea of cultural relevance and we're missing the truth of the Word of God. And I sit in a room with a man who's willingly giving his life for Christ. And I come back and I look at myself in the mirror and I say, what am I giving? What am I doing? What are we all doing? (laughs) I think there's so much more. I think there's such a higher calling. And I think we get mired in the things of this life and we miss all that Christ has called us to be. 
And I think we miss the joy. Now watch this. Don't, don't think I'm crazy. I think we miss the joy in suffering for Christ. There's no greater place to be than in the will of the Lord. There's nothing that can satisfy that longing more than following him. And he's very clear in his word. The only question is, are we going to follow Now, let's take it a step farther. He says something very interesting to us, something that's kind of confusing. Verse 25. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. That's an interesting statement. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it for a man or for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Here's the third truth. We choose Christ. We choose to follow Christ no matter the calling. And the number three, as difficult as it may seem, we gain when we lose. Christ says, if you want to gain, you need to lose your life. If you want to gain me, you need to lose all the things in your life that are important. Now, this idea of losing isn't something we like, is it? If you're like me, I'm kind of competitive. I don't like to lose in anything. I don't even like to lose my keys. When I lose my keys, I get frustrated. So this idea of losing our life is kind of opposite of what we think we'll have, right? Lord, I don't want to lose anything because if I lose anything, I'm not going to have anything good. Here's the truth that we miss. When we lose ourselves in Christ, we gain all that he has to offer. I've got another picture I want to show you. I brought these pictures because I thought it would be kind of compelling for you to be able to see. This man is an Indian believer. He's a follower of Jesus Christ. His name is Pramod. And he's sitting in the circle of the room we studied in. This is really kind of a neat setting. We were just in a neighborhood in the city. Kind of walked through the streets to this believer's house. Went up into his second floor room where we prayed with these guys and studied with them. And kind of did some training with them for a couple of days. But this man, just to give you a little background, was born in the caste system of India. Now if you don't understand the caste system, you should go Google it, read a little bit about it. It's basically social status that you're born into. And if you're born on the highest level caste, you have a nice opportunity in life to do a lot of things. If you're born into the lower levels, you have very little opportunity. And really, depending on where you're born and the family you're born and the area you're born, it kind of sets the course for your life. Now this man was born in the Brahmin priestly caste. It's the highest caste system. He was born at the top of the top, which meant he could have done a lot of things in life. In fact, his grandfather was a priest in the city, a very well-known priest. This man, promoted, had been studying to be a priest. He had been in seminary, and he was kind of quickly making his way up to the top of the rung of the ladder to be a leader in his society, to be a leader in his community, and he was doing what he thought he was called to do. And all of a sudden, he had a motorcycle accident. That's very interesting. When you talk to these believers, it's almost like you're reading the first century church. It's almost like you're reading the the, the book of Acts because so many of these believers came to know Christ through some sort of a miracle, some sort of a healing. This man had a significant motorcycle accident. He was taken to the hospital. The doctors told him, you're not going to survive. You're not going to live. And he said he had this vision. He had this dream of himself falling into this deep, dark pit. And he said he understands now that as he was in this pit, he saw this man all in white. He now believes that man was Jesus. Reached down into the pit and pulled him out of the darkness into the light. Through that vision, he came to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. 
So he's got a vision now of reaching this city. It's just covered up with Hinduism for Christ. But it cost him. It cost him everything he'd worked for. It cost him his status. It cost him his society. It cost him all the things that he wanted to do with his family and all the dreams he had had. It cost, cost him. And he set all those things aside because he understood exactly what the Lord had said. When you give those things up, you gain so much more. And he's at peace now. He's at peace with who the Lord is. He's at peace with what the Lord is doing in his life. And he's willing, whatever it takes, to follow Jesus. See, he understands what so many of us don't understand. We're not called to live our life for the sake of the world. We're called to live our life for Christ. And we're called to follow his teachings regardless of what it may cost. Jesus gives us just a a final reminder here in this text What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet give up their soul? What good is it for man to gain all the things that he can gain on this earth? All the riches and all the prestige and all the material possessions. What good is it if a person gains all those things and yet forfeits his soul? See, Jesus wants us to understand in this teaching that there's something more. There's something more than the world screams at us. There's something more than wealth. There's something more than power. There's something more than wanting what everybody else wants. Following Jesus Christ is a calling. It's ought to be an unquenchable desire to follow him no matter where he leads us to go. So I started thinking as I kind of wrap this up, I need to finish up this morning. What do these believers have that we don't have over there? It's not resources. We have all the resources in the world. It's not about need It's not about anything other than they're simply interested in following the truth of the Word of God. I wrote in my journal as we were sitting there listening to those guys teaching. As we were hearing those guys preach, they simply have a desire to follow the teaching of Scripture. Period. That's all they're doing. It's not rocket science. It's not some fancy model they've got. They're just opening the truth of the Word of God. And they're following everything he tells them to do. The conclusion I reached, and this was kind of hard for me to think, and it's even harder for me to say, they want it more than we do. I think sometimes we live in a very spoiled and pampered world. We've allowed the easiness of life to erode our passion for the things of Christ. I think we need to be awfully careful. I wonder how many of us would endure beatings for Jesus. I wonder how many of us would give up our families for him. I wonder how many of us would endure the pain and the hurt and the pressure that so many of those men and women for Jesus Christ have endured. And I pray that never comes. But I just wonder what we would do. You know, India is a very dark place. South Asia is a very dark place. And yet there are pockets of light. I'll finish with this story. As we were, as we were flying in, we flew right over Pakistan and right over Afghanistan. And we were flying over Afghanistan. It was late at night. Stars were brilliant up in the sky and over the horizon was kind of the orange sun that kind of went down into the mountains. And as you look down over the horizon, I just kind of asked myself, what's down there? You know, what's down there? Vast nothingness, desert, mountains. But as you kind of flew, as we flew across that vast terrain, every now and then I'd see a light. One single light. Just one. Not a group of lights. One light. And then it seemed like it'd be 100 miles and I'd see another. And I said, Lord, what's down there? And it's kind of like, you know how the Lord speaks to you and kind of impresses upon your heart? It's like he was saying to me, that's the light of Christ in a sea of darkness. That's representative of where you're going. 
There's great darkness, but there are pockets of light. There are believers who have given up everything for the call of Christ. And so I came back asking myself the question, what if we lived our lives with that passion and that sacrifice? What if we followed Christ no matter what it cost us? What if we allowed God to work even when it made us uncomfortable? What would he do in our hearts? What would he do in our lives? What would he do in our country? What if? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the conviction, Lord, of studying your word. Father, I pray that you would just speak to the depths of our hearts right now, Father, about our our motives, about our desires, about our passions, about our calling. Father, I pray that you would just would help us to see that we've been given so much and we've been so blessed. And yet there's so much we need to do, Father. Just create within our hearts a passion to share, a passion to love, a passion to give, a, a passion to sacrifice. Lord, help us to just begin to think tangibly about what we can give up for you. How can we live our lives in such a way that we deny ourselves and we take up our cross and follow you daily? Give us the strength and the courage to live our lives just like that for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity. If you want to come pray at the altar, the altar is always open. If you want to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior and repent of your sins, you can do that. If you want to join our church, this is your time as we sing together. You respond. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.